The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. What is the most overdue library book you've ever had and were you fined for it? I recall as a kid um, getting one of the trilogy of The Lord of the Rings and then going off to boarding school, leaving the book at home and then forgetting about it and then finding it in the next holiday and being so mortified by the fact that I hadn't returned the book that I then avoided the town library for the entire holiday and pretended it didn't exist and hid the book away and by the Christmas member of my family found the book and said, why have you got this book? This is like a year overdue. And they took me to the library and they made me hand it in. And the lovely librarian made a big show of calculating the fine, which was like 14 years of pocket money, and then said, well, thank you for bringing it back and let me go. The world's most overdue library book ever is 287 years. Um, and it was taken out by Colonel Robert Walpole. He borrowed it from the Sydney Sussex College at Cambridge in 1667. And then his biographer found it amongst his papers and in 1956 returned it to Cambridge University Library. That is the most overdue library book in history. It doesn't disclose whether or not there was a fine attached onto Colonel Robert Walpole's estate. But yeah, 256 years, 256 times longer. He must have died of guilt, that oak. Anyway, let's get on to personal finance with Warren Ingram this evening. Um, before we get into nitty-gritty of other things here, Warren, um, the two-pot retirement system that National Treasury is proposing, in a nutshell, explain it, please. It's a very long overdue change to the way we are uh, we, we're going to be treated w- with our retirement funds. So, so the, the 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 problem they're trying to solve is people who resign from their jobs so that they get access to their retirement funds. And and what happens is, you know, let, let's say you've got a, a, a provident fund or a pension fund, and it um, you know, and it's worth a hundred thousand rand. And you've got uh, f- financial difficulties now. Um, uh, w- what happens is you you resign so that you cash in your 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 hundred thousand rand. Unfortunately, you end up giving away about half of that to to tax, and then you you hope that you get another job and you use the money to to settle what whatever the the debts are that you have today. And and that's a huge and very common trend in our country where where people are in desperate financial trouble. Uh, but they are employed and, and their only solution that they can see is to, is to make themselves immediately unemployed by, by resigning and, and then accessing, accessing their retirement funds. And every time, uh, the, the bulk of South African, uh, employees change jobs, they cash in their retirement funds. So, so we, we just don't ever break this, 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 uh, saving cycle problem where we just don't save enough for our retirement. And Treasury are saying, we need to change this. So what they're going to do is going forward. So it's not something that will, that will be affecting our existing retirement um, money that we would have saved o- o- over our careers. But, but from a particular day, and let's say it's going to be the first of March next year, uh, the, 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 any money we contribute to retirement funds going forward will be divided into two pots. Two thirds of the money, uh, will, will, will be allocated to long term uh, retirement savings, so money that we can't access uh, and, until we reach retirement age. But one third 
we would be able to access uh, in, in, a, in a year or in a particular p- period of time. Um, and and what, what they're hoping is that that will encourage us as, as uh, em- employees and people who contribute to retirement funds to, to then not quit our jobs firstly, but secondly, that, that, that the two-thirds will then be locked away and we will never be able to access that money uh, until we actually retire. But uh, in, in order to help uh, people who are in financial difficulty, the one-third w- that we would be able to access uh, if we need to, we will still pay tax on it, but, but certainly, you know, we, we start to get some form of preservation of our retirement funds. I think, and, and I'm speaking under correction, that was the, the, this was first proposed about 12 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I think the unions were the problem that they, yes, they, absolutely. they, they I resisted this. Yeah. this. Um, and and so here we are, you know, 12 years later, we were very close. Tre- Treasury have put it out for, for comment. I think it's, uh, you know, sometime in August that the comments will be closed and 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 I I couldn't be more excited about about a really positive change for 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 kickstarting savings in South Africa the history shows in all countries around the world if you want to get people to save you have to make it a law you have to make it a rule of employment uh, because we just don't do what's good for ourselves you know we we need to be forced uh, sometimes to do things that are in our own interests yeah, and this idea is quite interesting. Does this solve then um, the emergency fund problem? Because you always say to us, we've got to have six months worth of expenses put away in a current account or um, in, in a savings account getting minimal interest. If you could, if you, you know, think your prospects are fine and you're not likely to have an emergency, this sort of second pot almost doubles up as an emergency fund because you get a tax break putting the money in. And if you never draw it out, well, you've saved money and had the tax break. And if in the case of a dreadful emergency, well, you would have paid the tax originally anyway you've had the advantage of compounding growth for as long as it's been in that particular fund and then it acts a bit like a piggy bank if you need it uh, desperately in order to to solve a big problem is there not a concern though that this becomes just a money that's too easy to access i wonder whether or not that's not going to become a stumbling block um, I, I think maybe to the second part of your question, I, I, I think that, that, that that's uh, hopefully the tax penalty is 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 sufficient to deter people from yeah. from from kind of just accessing the, the, their retirement funds willy nilly. I mean, I think we need to be careful there, and, and you're right, and we need to do a lot more education around this. But, but I think that um, it, it's 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 the least worst alternative <laughs> we can come up with. It's the yeah. least bad alternative as opposed to staying on, on the course that we are on at the moment. So, so I'll, I'll take the fact that we, we then change the law so that the, the two-thirds is, is forced saving that we will not be able to access. And, and there, I know that – I'm not sure if it's in this current proposal that, that they're, they're going to look at forcing employers – to, to uh, contribute to retirement funds for their employees, for everybody, you know, not just on a, on a kind of an opt-in basis or, you know, per employer basis as well. But, 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 um, I, I, I hear your, your suggestion on the, on the, on the emergency fund. And I would say again, um, it's, it's, it's an okay idea if you've got no other options. But, but what I would love to happen is that, you know, we kind of maximize our retirement fund contributions because now we know we can access the money if we, if we will access some of the money if we really need to. But in the meantime, we build up an emergency fund in addition so, so that we just leave that retirement fund um, money to grow and compound on itself and, and look after us in, 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 our, in our dotage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm glad you like it, Warren. I, I saw the proposal and I sort of went, 
This looks familiar, and I'm glad you reminded us that it's been around for a dozen years. Now, you also want us to do more than we already do, and I think that's a very good piece of advice. Um, Outside of your investment portfolio, what else can you do to improve your financial position? Because, you know, with longevity as an issue, with lower growth rates on money, um, at least for the foreseeable future, being an issue, um, we need to do more than just the 15% or hopefully we're doing 15% um, that you know, Grandpa told us to do. As you know, Bruce, I'm kind of a sports uh, sports nut and, and it's one of the things that, uh, that that you hear coaches and and high-performance players talk about a lot is, you, you know, we, we're going to focus on the things that we can control and we're going to ignore the things that are outside of our control. And, and I think that that is is a brilliant um, attitude to bring to to your own savings and your own investments. And wh- one of the things we absolutely cannot control unless we are in control of Elon Musk's Twitter account is we cannot control the markets. So so we should spend a lot less time worrying about, uh, you know, as investors, we should spend a lot less time worrying about the direction of markets and what they're going to do, because, frankly, there's absolutely nothing we can do about them. So, so I thought, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna use the the kind of coaching analogy uh, um, to, to one step further in in our own financial planning lives, what can we do? And and I thought, you know, let's look at people who who are earning an income, uh, and and for for people who are earning an income, I think one of the things to realize is your career that your your ability to generate an income from your work now is a huge asset you know so if you're you know if you're a sprightly age of let's say 47 like like someone i know very well like <laughs> you know like me that, that means you've got at least sort of 20 uh, years of work to go uh, and and so it's spending some of of your income on yourself in in other words you know b- building up your 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 skill set uh, um you know to continue working and to kind of, kind of continue earning income and, and potentially different streams of income is actually a really sensible, rational thing to do because it, it certainly preserves your ability to earn money for a long period of time. And and secondly, might help you to earn more money than, than you're earning today. So, so it's, you know, look at your career as an asset as well. It's not, it certainly shouldn't be an expense uh, only in your life. So, so I think for, for a lot of people, you know, they, they take that for granted. They just get up and do their job every day and, and hope that someone will help them learn a bit more. And I think you've got to take responsibility for that learn new skills you know a, a lot of the time you don't even need to invest money it's it's just the time you know there's lots of really good courses out there uh, you, you know that you could that you could access um, you know if not for free then i think for very low costs so so certainly i think that's something to do uh, and then uh, you, you know talking to to people uh, who who've bought or started businesses in in the early days of lockdown now, uh, you know, I talk to them today and some of them have actually, you know, done incredibly well, in, you know, in, in a completely counterintuitive, counter-cyclical time, you know, to, to talk to people about starting a business when we didn't know if we were all going to live in the next year or two or three. Uh, you know, starting businesses in bad economic times can be a fantastic idea. Uh, I, I think you, you've got really good kind of background, Bruce, on, on businesses that uh, you know were started in awful times. Yep. And uh, you know, you know, take the plunge if you've got a great idea. I'm not saying start any old business. You know, please don't do that. But if you've got a great idea and it's something you've been wanting to do. 
starting a business when 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 economies are struggling or even in recession uh, often is is the is the key you know the, the, some of the best businesses are started in the worst of times and and you, you learn great lessons and and you have a really fit business by the end of that that, that kind of time frame it goes to this whole perception of, of scarcity and if you grow if you're starting your business in a time of enormous scarcity you're not got any fat you don't have any luxuries you don't have any room to maneuver you've got to build it as uh, with the lowest cost base you probably can and you've got to do it as carefully as you possibly can and there are countless examples um, of of companies precisely like that that have actually been built really lean and mean right from the very start just by virtue of the fact they started in a dreadful in a dreadful period yeah, I think you know if you start a business in a time like that, it's it's impossible for you to be uh, you know complacent or lazy or uh, you know take take uh, shortcuts with your business. You have to be you know survival of the fittest starts uh, with a, a time like that. And I think you know if those lessons get ingrained in the culture of the business, it sets you on your path. So, so I would encourage people to, to to look at that if they've got a great idea and and look at a, a gap in the market that's not being served or, or potentially very underserved now. You know, and, and I think it's a, a heck of a time to start a business. Uh, and and then I think it, it's probably something we a lot of us would have learned in lockdown is you know that life kind of simplified a lot when when we were forced to to, to stay at home and and we couldn't go out and and, and spend a lot of time in restaurants and theaters and whatever and, and we learned uh, you know a lot about the value firstly of 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 family life of of you know good circles of friends C- certainly in winter the, the the value of a warm pair of slippers all, all of those kinds of things which uh you, you know don't have to be expensive and and i think you know it's lessons we should take forward which is focus on on things that add a heck of a lot to our lives and the quality of our lives and it's things that we don't need to spend money on uh, and and you you know if if you're in a position where where you can focus on those things and on your health especially you know I, I think you know that's a key one in in, in this it it adds financially to you but but certainly if you're if you're spending time with with uh, with people that add value to your life you don't have to spend money on meaningless stuff and and you know meaningless uh, kind of non priorities in life and I think it's key you know we we need to re- learn the lessons from this awful time we've been through and, and carry them forward for the next few decades. We forget them so, so fast, Warren. We really do. Um, I I think we can go on to Mark Bennett's question. Now, Mark sent an email, and it's only to you, so it's, I'm not going to participate. It says, Dear Warren, I, I've never been quite sure about how much money I should be putting into my RA versus my discretionary investments. Do you have any suggestions or principles as to how I should think about it? It's such a good question, Mark. It's, it's, uh, I think one of the questions I get asked the most and, and there isn't unfortunately a, a very simple answer. I think the, 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 the truth is that, uh, you know, the, the, the amendments that we've just spoken about, uh, you, you know, to, to retirement savings might, might make this conversation a, a little easier. So the, the, my, my financial planning textbook will, will, will say that you should absolutely maximize your, your retirement fund contribution. So, so the law says, you know, up to 27.5% of income that, that will earn tax, that attracts tax. You, you can contribute that to a retirement fund. So for example, you know, your salary, bonuses, if you earn interest or, or potentially rent from a property, all of those are, are forms of taxable income. And you can take 27.5% of that invested in, a, in, a, in an RA 
and uh, and up to I think a limit of three hundred and fifty thousand rand, and and you will get a tax break for that contribution. So so the, the the textbook answer is you know maximize your RA contributions and then do the discretionary investments thereafter. And and the first discretionary investment that you should start immediately after your RA is your tax-free savings account. Uh, the, the difficulty with that always is, is people hate the idea of their money being locked away uh, until they're age 55. And, and so they, they often want to strike a balance. And, and then my view is you don't need to be binary in a decision like this. You don't need to say it's all in, in RAs or all in discretion investments. My view would be if you want, uh, you know, you want to save, you know, start saving. Firstly, you don't, don't spend too much time kind of, you know, w- wasting energy on where I should save. I mean, just start. Um, and if you're not sure on this and you don't want all your money locked away and, and these amendments to the retirement fund r- reforms haven't happened yet, th- th- then go 50-50. T- take half the money that you've got to save, put it in your retirement fund and, and put the, the balance in, in your tax-free and other discretionary investments. Uh, if, if you're not un- in, in any way uncomfortable with, with, with your money being in an RA and you, and you can afford to maximize your contributions – and still do other savings, then by all means do that. I think you know, you know, the, the RA is incredibly difficult to beat as an investment vehicle if you choose one that's low cost, well invested, uh, and transparent in terms of fees and underlying investments. So, so it really is tough to beat an RA as an investment vehicle. So, so don't shy away from it simply because of of this liquidity or access uh, to, to money issue. And certainly, you know, we, we hope that Treasury will will solve um, one third of that problem in the very near future. So, so I think it's a tough question, Mark, but but maybe fifty fifty is the answer. Uh, if you are worried about access to to your to your retirement funds, uh, and again, I mean, lots of retirement funds had a terrible reputation many years ago, but they've become far more agile, far more fit for purpose in recent years, and there are so many options that are available to you. Just for a point of clarity, discretionary inv- investments. I mean, an RA is a discretionary investment, but uh, we're talking about retirement annuities of like a forced saving, if you like, and the money is tied up. Discretionary investments are anything from buying an exchange-traded fund to buying uh, a, a unit trust to um, putting money into Bitcoin, even. Um, not that that's an investment, but you know what I mean. Oh, you, you just took the whole, you know, beautiful conversation in a horrible direction right at the end there. So, so discretionary investments, precisely right. It, it's anything that where you don't get a tax break from SARS, um, and it's money that you can uh, access at any time w- without uh, having to pay uh, a, a tax penalty. So, so you know, as you say, um, you know, whether it be a unit trust, um, a money market account. Or, or even you know the blessed uh, cryptocurrencies. All of those would, would, would classify as as discretionary investments. So would, some of them you, would be good investments, and some of them will be awful. But but certainly those are discretionary investments. If you've been lucky I, enough, I also think in, sorry. In, if you've been lucky enough to make a return, you will have to pay capital gains tax um, based on your income and all of that sort of stuff. So it's not a tax free return that you're getting. This is a clarification. Uh, it's important. You, know, you don't get pay, you don't get paid huge taxes. It's uh, it's uh, you do, but there is a tax consequence to selling an investment particularly one that's made money. Yep, I, I couldn't have said it better than, better myself. Uh, I think the one other concern people have had with re- retirement funds has been the, the, the lack of uh, flexibility around how, how much can be invested you know, within in, in the country and how much can be invested globally. And certainly that was another big change that Treasury made in, in February where they've increased that global allocation to, to 45% uh, w- within re- retirement funds. So, so really, uh, you know, a lot of the, the old arguments against retirement funds are going away now. You know, firstly, it was 
horrific fees and they are they still are some really expensive retirement annuities out there but you know if you do a little bit of homework for yourself find out exactly what the fees are make sure there are no penalties for for moving your money from one ra to another um and and you know make sure that it's it's a very transparent uh, platform that you're using with with uh, you know complete transparency around fees uh, you can protect yourself against a lot of the the, the misbehavior in the past and, and then secondly make sure that uh, you, you know you, your your costs are low and and that you take as much expose, exposure to shares as you can you know and that's going to be around 75% Especially if you're a younger employee, I think it's a, a key thing. But and then now the, the global allocation, you know, is is a huge help to getting more diversification within a, a retirement fund. So, so I think uh, you know, especially if this this amendment comes through with the two part system, there are going to be very few arguments against retirement funds in the future. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It was Craig Gradich who said to us, uh, "You've got a balanced portfolio. If you want some violence in your portfolio, add Bitcoin." I like that. Um, what is <laughs> the single discretionary allowance? Lots of discretion this evening, uh, Warren. What is the single discretionary allowance? So, single discretionary allowance uh, is, is something that we we get all of us as as South Africans. We, we, um, if you're over the age of eighteen, um, every calendar year, so f- from from the first of January to, to the end of December, you are allowed to to take a, a million rand and and invest that overseas. Uh, in in the old days, it used to be just called your travel allowance, and and you weren't allowed to do anything with it except pay for travel costs. But but the, this discretionary allowance has widened up quite substantially now. And and the key point here is it 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 still is part of your travel allowance. So if you are going to travel in a year and you're going to spend uh, money overseas, make sure that you don't then take your entire million rand and and invest it fully because then you won't have any capacity for travel money. But explicitly the reserve bank is allowing us to to send this money uh, overseas and we don't need to go through a whole tax clearance process when we do that we simply need to be a south african over the age of 18 uh, and and we're allowed to then go to uh, a, a foreign exchange dealer in south africa and, and and simply that you know most for most of that's just that's just our bank uh, and and we we need to go through a process with them where they identify us. They give keep records that we sent the money out. They report that to to the reserve bank. But it's a reporting exercise. They're not asking for permission to send our money out. We 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 have that permission as as, as an open ended scheme. And every year we can do that as a, as a South African over the age of eighteen. We we can send out a million rand. So husband and wife two million rand a year. Uh, and, and that's before you then apply for tax clearances. And you can't use your kids for that process either. I think some people got terribly excited uh, and then said, oh, but but Johnny needs a million and Sophie needs a million and this one needs a million and I'm going to adopt some children and they can send out a million and give them back later. Um, it's purely per adults over the age of 18, right? Yeah, uh, the the limit for for children under eighteen. Uh, I'm speaking under correction, but I think it's two hundred thousand rand per, per per child under the age of eighteen. Aha, that is also useful information. Thank you, Warren Ingram. As always, always useful. Uh, Warren Ingram is director of Galileo Capital. He's a regular contributor to the Money Show. He won't be here next week because he needs a holiday. Very stressful, you know. Um, and uh, he hasn't had one for two months. And uh, Warren, uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you, Warren Ingram from Galileo Capital.